0: I have another bonus episode this week as part of our Apraxia Connect series. And it was just way too good not to share on the podcast. So earlier this week, I had the pleasure of speaking with Jordan Christian-Levon, live on Instagram. Jordan is an author, advocate, and public speaker. He is the author of Jordan's World, a nonfictional children's book series about his real-life experiences growing up with apraxia of speech. Jordan couldn't speak until he was five, and professionals told his mom he would never speak on his own. Despite people's doubts, he fought for his voice and uses his voice to advocate for others. You'll get to hear his perspective about the cause of apraxia, the long-term prognosis, and how CAS can affect mental health in this episode.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: It's really great to have you, and like I was just mentioning, I've already been learning so much about you and apraxia, as a speech-language pathologist, just learning from your perspective in our written conversation. So tonight is gonna to be really informative, I can already tell. I wanna give it a little background information, a little bio for anybody that is not familiar with you.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. So my name is Jordan Christian Levin. I'm 26 years old. I grew up with apraxia of speech. It's now I'm an apraxia advocate, as well as a mental health advocate and a disability advocate. I'm also an author. I wrote in the children's book series, Jordan's Road, which is a non-fictional children's book series that talks about my life growing up with apraxia of speech. And I'm also the founder and president of the Apraxia Foundation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that helps individuals with apraxia, speech, and with communication-related disorders be able to afford research, evidence-based services. So that's a little bit about me. I really like to do a lot because <laughs> I like to stay busy and stuff. So, Sometimes.
0: yeah thank you for introducing yourself i can definitely tell that you like to stay busy but you're making such an impact in the community so we're just grateful for all of this time that you are dedicating
1: to this area that's really kind of you i appreciate that
0: well jordan what an honor to have you on tonight i want to just start by hearing what apraxia is from your perspective and just you know in general from the research
1: yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. So what childhood apraxia of speech is? Is that it's a neurological speech disorder where the person knows what they want to say, but for the brain sending the mouth signals to move their tongue, lips, and jaw whenever they want to speak, can be incred can be incredibly difficult for some people with a apraxia. Um, this is a motor planning speech disorder, which is what makes it so much more different than other tra- traditional traditional speech and sound disorders. Despite the name childhood apraxia of speech, this is not a condition that the person quote, quote unquote outgrows. The research evidence-based treatment is needed, according to ASHA, for the individual to make speech gains and speech progress." So that's about apraxia and, you know, it's living with apraxia. It's basically like, you know, it's kind, it's kind of like your, your brain says go, but then your mouth is like, actually, I just lied to you, stop it.
0: (laughs) Wow. I think I really appreciate like the textbook version that you gave and then giving us like what it really looks like for a person who's living with apraxia. I think that that was, I get it. Like just from that example, so I appreciate you sharing that. What about like the term? Do you still recommend using childhood apraxia speech with an adult? Do you recommend moving to apraxia of speech? What are your recommendations for that?
1: so really it's an so really it's an anti-visual preference so whatever the person feels most comfortable with it's i will definitely say from my own personal experience when i was a teen i definitely didn't like the name childhood apraxia speech because it's when you're a teen you're like It's. I'm a teenager. You you know, you know. You like get into that phase, but like now, since I'm an adult, though, it's. I absolutely don't mind the name childhood apraxia of speech because it's what the childhood part means is that this has been present since birth, which is what makes it different than acquired apraxia that can happen after like a stroke, after a car accident, or something like that. So that's really just telling us okay this is a condition that's been present since birth but it's a lot of people do hear the childhood part and then they interpret as, this is going to be during childhood or that you know for teens and you know you can get a little bit embarrassed because you're a teen but i like either or but i really do think it's an individual preference for sure
0: thank you for sharing that i think that that's a really safe way to go about it just checking with the individual seeing what they prefer and it sounds like you know depending on where they are in the lifespan that it could change and i like the distinction that you made that when we say apraxia speech it's not the acquired one we really are talking about the one that starts at birth so that's why childhood is preferred at least from like the adult perspective but definitely just check with the individual
1: correct yeah
0: awesome so you kind of mentioned this earlier, but I'd like to talk about it a little bit more. Can an individual, quote unquote, outgrow apraxia?
1: Right. So, right. So, it's an individual cannot outgrow a apraxia. So, like this isn't something that is like a speech delay. Now, this is a neurological motor planning speech disorder. So like, it's not something that with an age is going to, you know, is going to progress and such. What's going to progress the person's speech is speech therapy using a motor planning approach. So motor planning approaches can include ones like DTTC, rest, Kaufman, Kaufman, and then also Prompt. Those are a few approaches that can help with apraxia. As I really, really do feel like why the misconception goes about that people quote unquote outgrow apraxia is because many people do receive the bulk of their speech services when they're a child. That so people see these kids grow up and they're like, oh, well, like they like, weren't talking as much when they were younger, but we see them now, they're 8, 10, 12, and their speech has gotten better. And it's like, well, they went to speech. But, you know, I think that people, because of that, they don't actually see the full entire picture.
0: That makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. And it makes sense that they would have like the bulk of it when they're younger. I did mm-hmm. have another speaker come on and she actually used the term resolved. I actually hadn't heard that before. Is that the term to use if, Uh, like a client who's had childhood apraxia of speech no longer needs speech therapy? Have you heard that before?
1: So yes. Yeah. so as I've definitely heard of that term, I will be transparent and say that I'm not a fan of that oh. term because for the because it's for a person to say that a apraxia can be quote-unquote re can can be quote-unquote resolved is honestly just false it's with apraxia of speech a lifelong speech disorder but that doesn't make, mean that we can't make gains gains within our speech because it's when i was five it's I was non-speaking, like I physically could not speak. And it's within the speech services that I have gotten and such as I've been able to get to the point where I can talk back and forth with people and express my wants, needs and such. But, you know, with people with apraxia, everyday life is really, really different. And it's not going to look, you know, like me talking to you on this life isn't going to look the same if I was out in my everyday to day life, trying, trying to have a, like, quote, unquote, a quote, unquote, spontaneous conversation with a person I don't know, because naturally, with the nature of my apraxia is going to look more (laughs) difficult so it's just it's it, it's really different, and not a lot of people get to see these different points of views. Because it's when SLPs are working with people with with apraxia, most of the time is they is they are working within the speech language pathology room, which is a very isolated setting. And as by that time, the person with apraxia has most likely or I hope, (laughs) the person has gotten comfortable with the SLP, which puts the pressure off of their speech, which can make the speech more easier. Versus as if you're out in your everyday life and that pressure is applied to your speech and stuff, and you're not in that safe room where you might feel safe, there can be all sorts of things. So I think that it's a thing also as well. It's I would never tell a person that, They cannot use that term because that is an individualized choice but i just find that the wording is not the most accurate
0: no i appreciate you taking the time to explain that i think i wanted to know just from being you know being a speech language pathologist and wanting to use the correct terminology i get it that it's definitely an individualized basis it doesn't make it right or wrong just like knowing what we should be from our professional point of view. So I Mm -hmm. appreciate you sharing that. It makes a lot of sense. Somebody commented, let me go back. Elaine Tristan said, hard agree on the, it's not ever really resolved. Mm -hmm. I'm out of speech therapy, but depending on the day, I may struggle pretty bad.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, right, right. So like with apraxia, apraxia is known as unpredictable speech error so the so the ability to be able to say one word one moment or one phrase one moment and then the next not being able to say it at all and then it's and then it's two is when you're talking with other people it's for people with apraxia it can also be more difficult depending on the conversation as well so people with apraxia many many times can come up with certain certain scripts within their head that they will go by. but it's when you go off of that script speech can become more difficult for us and it's if you ask a person with apraxia a question it can be more difficult for us to get out our response because we didn't have time to plan it because it's with apraxia, of course, it's a mode planning speech disorder, as I said. So, you know, it's if we have these different phrases like planned, speech can be a lot easier, I'm not gonna lie. Versus if it's a question that we're not prepared for, or even a conversation that we're not prepared for or just a certain mode or plan that we haven't practiced that much, then it can be more difficult. Sorry, I don't mean to rant. Um, I just really like to get the full picture.
0: I really appreciate it. I don't think it's ranting at all. That's
1: why
0: (laughs) they wanna hear like your perspective. I love how you break everything down. So thank you for that.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So, So, what can the long-term prognosis look like with evidence-based treatment that's based on research? And what is that research even?
1: Yes, yes, so yes, yeah, so the so the research evidence-based treatment for apraxia is going to be using a motor planning approach. So as we were talking about like BTTC, Press, prompt, and cough, Kaufman. Phonological and fluent and fluency approaches for apraxia alone, they do not work on apraxia alone, but that's not saying that a phonological speech disorder or a fluency speech disorder. Cannot co-occur at the same time as a as a apraxia. So, so, what you know, parents should do, or caregivers, or or the person with apraxia, is to meet with an SLP to get their full diagnostic profile and to really really learn like what is the full treatment approach that that I need but it's for apraxia alone is going to be the motor planning speech approach. And then also it's for apraxia, what ASHA recommends is the speech services three through five times a week for 30 minute sessions through an hour session. So really it's a lot, a lot of speech because with apraxia, it does require a lot of repetition. and. For the long-term prognosis, that's going to look different, like very different person to person, because because like there's like so many different factors that go into the prognosis. So like the like different comorbidities, because it's with a because with apraxia, it's, it's very rare that apraxia occurs by itself. So many many of the t- Parents will find first, they'll find out the apraxia more throughout the next several months or next several years, but it really, really does depend on the case. There's different severities of apraxia. There's mild, moderate, severe, and profound. So it's really depending on the case severity and what was the treatment they got and, but what also, what are the comorbidities that might, and that might interfere with the speech treatment and different things like that. Personally, I was diagnosed as a profound case of apraxia when I was a child. When I last went to speech therapy, I was 23, and they classified me as a my old case of apraxia
0: oh wow so did you do you mind sharing did you have like would you say like intensive speech therapy when you were younger yeah
1: yeah it was a lot it's i had went for five times a week for 45 minute sessions and i went to those sessions for i want to say a good six years so it's i had gotten a lot a lot of speech and i went for several more years and when i was an adult i got speech services and i got to them for an hour a week so i've been in a lot of speech but it's definitely definitely helped me and i do definitely credit speech therapy for being the reason why i'm able to speak today because because, as I personally know, if I didn't have those services, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be talking to a day.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, our goal with this event is just to inform more SLPs because, okay. you know, classified as a rare speech disorder. And unfortunately, the education that we get in graduate school and continuing education is minimal unless yeah. we seek it. But It's not as, I mean, it's rare, but Dr. Yuzini Siegel, one of our speakers at the Mm -hmm. event pointed out that this is every one to two elementary schools is going to have a child with apraxia of speech. So it's really important that SLPs know more than just the definition of childhood apraxia of speech. They really need to know like, what to do, what not to do. Mm. So I'm really thankful for you coming on here. And, you know, I, I appreciate sure. the credit that you gave to speech language pathologists, but like you said, there's so many factors that go into long-term prognosis and the motivation and dedication by the individual is a huge part of that too, right? So, you, you know, all of that hard work you put into this brought you to where you are today.
1: Thank you, thank you. That's really, really kind of that's really really kind of you because when I was growing up people thought that I didn't want to talk and people would say, Oh, is he oh, is he so shy and I was never shy. My mom can tell you that in a heartbeat that I was never shy, but I really wanted to talk but other people didn't see that. And now since I can talk, I don't ever shut up if I'm (laughs) on a computer. Um, But um, but like, but it's that part as well, is really important for also not only parents, but also for as well peace to know is that, you know, these kids, these kids, these people, they do want to talk, but, you know, having that difficulty and not, and not knowing how your you know how your tongue, lips, and jaw are going to move if other people will be able to understand you can be really really difficult for them, so really really trying to really really trying to build a safe space within the s l. p room you know build that trust, getting that getting that therapeutic re- relationship, I feel like is very, very important.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I wanted to share one comment here. I don't know if you saw it. JWAGS9114 said, my son has co-occurrence of apraxia and phonological speech disorder. We are seeing big gains of speech with motor the motor planning approach.
1: Yay, that's awesome. I'm so, so, so proud of your son. Please tell him I said, Can congratulations yeah that's
0: amazing so i had more questions for you but i want to i really want to get into the part about how slps can support mental health of clients with cas is that okay if we skip ahead to that one?
1: Oh yes please, please. okay yeah.
0: so yeah what are your recommendations for that because i don't mm-hmm. i think slps first of all need to like grasp the you know how to treat cas and differential diagnosis but we can't forget the mental health piece as well
1: right right so right so right so based off so so based off of the research i've read about um it's based off of the research I've read about people with apraxia and the psychosocial effects and such. There's there's been a lot of different a lot of different research articles that have came out that I'm going to reference but it's there it was one that actually came out within the past 2 years or so and what this article had said is that people with apraxia have a more higher chance at being at at risk for having anxiety disorders and then also having higher baselines of anxiety compared to peers that do not have childhood apraxia so we do definitely see a lot and based off of what I've of what I've personally seen from people that I've talked to who have a have apraxia is like I honestly haven't talked to a single adult with a with apraxia that doesn't report some level of anxiety and and those feelings of anxiety can happen for numerous reasons so so like so is personally off of my own personal experiences and such. When I was growing up, I didn't always have the nicest reactions from people when I tried to speak. There were some people who would get mad at me, or there would be some people who would walk away from me, and there would be some people who, you know, teased who teased me as a child because of my the beach so as i was growing up i never knew how other people were going to respond to me always was anxious about how how are other people going to respond and it's really just the natural tension of having to really push through to say what you want to say can really result as well in some like physical anxiety feelings so like tension, like your face might get tight. And really it's, and it's really, it's when these different things happen, they really trick our brain to think, oh, it's you're anxious. It's you're nervous. Even if you're not really nervous, you know, it's our brain really picks up on our, you know, facial, even, you know, it's if we're like, you know, like, even if, even if we're frowning and we're not sad that's going to trick our brain into thinking oh no like you're actually sad and it's if you have these different you know sen, sen, sensations or whatever you want to call it is that can also trick our brain as well so it's there's a lot of different stuff that can contribute into the anxiety portion but what i really really found what i've really 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 found that has really really helped helped me is therapy it is therapy it's really really helped me really 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 getting really really getting to know like why like why am i anxious and what why am I anxious, and what have other people taught me to think of my speaking, or my speech disorder and self, versus how do I want to think about myself, and how do I want to think about my speech disorder? So something I personally had to learn throughout this this time is that there's nothing wrong with having a Speech disorder and yes, speech might be difficult for me at times, but that doesn't mean that isn't inconvenience for other people, and it also doesn't mean that I'm quote 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 unquote dumb or not intelligent because that was a fear at one point because people would you know say, oh, as yes, you can't even talk when I was a Child, and you know that really, really hurt me. If I'm being, being, honest. it really took in a soul, really took in a toll on myself. A theme so I really had to learn how can I work through all of these different, different things that I was taught, and how can I rethink them, and how, and how can I think about myself? So it's a few different approaches. I've definitely saw that has really really worked for me personally is a is a is a acceptance and commitment therapy i have also found cbt cognitive and behavioral therapy really really work for me as well and then also with die with dialectual behavioral um, therapy therapy just just like really getting really getting to a place of self-face up has been really really important for me and then and then also as well and as I know for some people this can be kind of like a taboo topic if you will, but it's I've definitely found that medication has really, really helped me, and and has really been able to lower my levels of anxiety. Because when I was twenty, it's, I had so much anxiety anxiety surrounding my beach that every time I would go in to talk it would result into a panic attack and I really had to lower that level first so really lower that level first so I could go into these sessions and 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 it's I could and it's I and basically learned a new way to think about myself as I was talking about and to think about my speech disorder. And also with that, you know, that required a lot of repetition within itself. I really had to learn that there is truly nothing wrong with having a speech disorder. I mean, that's really just a fact about myself, just like how my eyes are blue and my Spawn as I tell people, it's just a thing about myself, and it's and two it's and two it's not good or bad. Be, not good or bad because it has has no sort of um, quote unquote like moral value. It's just once again it's a fact, and it's the way that I was made. So I wouldn't take it back.
0: Thank you so much for your candidness and sharing all of that. I can understand how hurtful that would have been like being young Mm -hmm. and being told that you're dumb because you're not able to speak effectively Mm -hmm. at that time. And you have like so much to say to people and you know that you're very smart. And so thank you for sharing just that journey that you've been on Mm -hmm. and what has helped you like medication, like cognitive behavioral therapy, like dialectical behavioral therapy. Yeah. I think you mentioned, and um, the what was the the other one?
1: Uh, the other one was called a was called a acceptance and commitment okay. therapy.
0: Acceptance and commitment, and just how all of those things have helped to strengthen your sense of acceptance and build that identity for yourself. I've heard that. Yeah like with within the fluency community as well, uh, the mental health piece, that having a strong sense of community and having a strong sense of, like, identity uh, makes all of the difference. So I could see how that would kind of apply with childhood apraxia speech as well.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Because it's just... Because it's really... Because it's really just to really know that you're not alone on this journey and is also being able to accept this part of your self can be pretty can be pretty hard it can be hard to wait it can be hard to accept so with my own personal acceptance it's an everyday process because many many Because many, many people think is once you accept something that like you're like done and you've accepted it and life's great and flowers and rainbows. And that is the furthest from the truth. I mean, it's personally, it's I have to wake up every day and be like, it's I I accept the person that I am. It's I accept my speech speech disorder and as if I personally catch myself in my everyday to day life. Even like having just like a negative thought, just if it pops up, I'm like, no, stop, go in the corner, you're not welcome here anymore. And I have to say, as I, I accept myself, and I think that that's also important for people to know, because I think that there can be, quote, unquote, un. I think that there can be quote unquote unrealistic expectations of how our moods should be like people should not be sad that we should only be happy but we should be sad at times we should be happy we should be nervous we should you know because we're humans we're not machines we're going to have natural feelings and it's what really really matters is being able to feel fill those feelings and then let those feelings go.
0: Absolutely. That's what I love about what you're doing for the community. You are helping children and other individuals build a stronger sense of identity, identity, feel part of a community. So thank you, Jordan. Keep doing what you're yeah. doing. Thank you so much for coming on today. I think that someone did have questions about AAC and wanted to join like on the video, but I would encourage them to, Jordan, it's okay if they like reach out to you via message. And
1: Uh,
0: Jordan, thank you again. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we leave today? I,
1: it's, I think that it's, if I, it's, I think that if I could give just anybody a piece of, a piece of advice leaving this, video is just to never give up. That times do get hard and such. And I do know that with this journey at times it can feel isolating and it can feel overwhelming, but you have your apraxia family here for you every step of the way.
0: Well, thank you, Jordan. If you enjoyed this episode, then you're going to love Apraxia Connect. Registration for Apraxia Connect is now open and super affordable, but only until next Friday, June 23rd for general admission. Don't miss this opportunity to become more confident in diagnosing and treating clients with CAS. Click on the link in show notes to learn more.